0: everyone, and welcome to Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. I'm your host, Sarah Sin, tackling horror movies, peeling back the layers, and taking a deeper dive into them. Again, on the show, I don't just discuss my love of horror movies. I like to bring in the aspect and perspective of horror and history, how horror movies tend to reflect society's fears. And since I am a psychology major, I like to bring this aspect and perspective in as well and see how the horror movie I'm focusing on reflects psychology and mental health in any way. So, as you all know, new month means new theme. And i only touched a little on may's theme last week but since linnea quigley's birthday is this month this month will be my linnea quigley appreciation month with the theme of well it may not be halloween but we're going to celebrate linnea quigley our scream queen so for may i'll be covering movies starring the amazing and beautiful linnea quigley because well i love linnea i mean how can you not love linnea quigley she has been in over a hundred movies starting from, like, the late 70s up until, well, now. And she really, like, cemented herself in, like, the horror genre um within the 80s, like, starting with the 80s. So the 80s is when she really blossomed and, like, really became, like, this horror movie icon and, like I said, cemented herself in the horror genre, becoming a scream queen. And there are just so many reasons why I love Linnea. For one, she's a really good actress. Like, Just because she stars in a lot of low-budget horror movies doesn't mean she can't act. Like, she absolutely can act. And no matter the part, she gives it 110% and takes the part seriously. You can also tell that she has a lot of fun with her characters and completely owns them. I've only had the honor of meeting her once, but and this was at the Jamboree last year, but she was, like, so easy to talk to once my friends, you know, actually held my hand and brought me over to her because I was so nervous to meet her. But once I started talking to her, she helped me relax because she was just so genuine and so real and so kind. And she wanted to get to know me as much as I wanted to get to know her. You know, she was just really, she was just as interested in my life as I was in her career and getting to know her, if that makes any sense. Like, As soon as I told her, like, yeah, I'm a single mom, and, you know, this is, you know, I'm here at the Jamboree, and this is kind of like my first experience of this, she immediately wanted to see a picture of my daughter. She's like, oh my gosh, do you have a picture, you know, do you have a picture of your daughter? Can I see her? I'm like, of course you can see a picture of my daughter. You know, Linnea is just an all around wonderful person. And so I decided, you know, since it's her birthday, I'm going to do movies that she starred in. So, This is my, again, my Linnea Quigley Appreciation Month because this is the month of her birthday. She's a scream queen. She's cemented herself as a horror icon. And I've had the pleasure of meeting her only once. Hopefully, again, I'll be able to meet her again another time. So, anyways, um, let's move on to the next movie for the theme of, well, it may not be Halloween, but we're going to celebrate Linnea Quigley, our scream queen, with 1987's Creepazoids. Directed by David DeCoto. I hope I said that right. Starring Linnea Quigley as Blanca, Ken Abraham as Butch, Michael Aranda as Jesse, Richard Hawkins as Jake, Kim McCamey, aka Ashley Gere as Kate, and Joy Wilson as Woman. So this movie is definitely horror history heavy as opposed to like psychology mental health heavy, which I've said before, you know, some movies lean one way, one some movies lean the other way. And some are kind of, you know, a balance between the two. But this one's definitely, like I said, horror history heavy. So for horror history, I think it reflects on the Cold War, like the fear of nuclear war, you know, like the 50s that focused a lot on nuclear, on the atomic bomb and nuclear war. But this focuses more or this decade focuses more on after the bomb drops, like after the world's destroyed. Um, and, like, what happens in a post-apocalyptic world kind of idea. So the 80s focused more on, like, post-apocalyptic, you know, reflecting on the Cold War, as opposed to the 50s focused more on the radiation, like tampering with radiation or, like, experimenting with radiation or nuclear bomb testing, what the radiation could do kind of idea. So this movie, like I said, definitely reflects, I say, on the Cold War. I think it also reflects on, like, the fear of the government. Like, you can't trust the government, you know, how the government likes to do experimenting like swept under the carpet kind of thing where like you know these experiments can go wrong they'd like to do human experiments you know without any fear of the consequences so i definitely think this reflects on the whole idea of like the fear of the government and how you can't trust the government and how the government's always doing you know experiments on humans not only animals but on humans as well and i think it also reflects on like the military um, like going AWOL, deserters, the fear of what may happen if you get caught after leaving the military without official leave kind of idea. So there wasn't much for psychology and mental health that I could pick up on because, like I said, this movie is definitely, like, horror history heavy. But for psychology and mental health, I got fight or flight, paranoia, phobias, musophobia, anxieties, lust, fear of the unknown, uncertainty, and sense of dread. So what is this movie about? Six years after a nuclear war reduced the world to rubble, leaving a small portion of humanity to fend for themselves, a small group of survivors stumble upon an abandoned government research facility, trying to escape the deadly acid rain. They don't know that there are deadly experiments still residing in the facility, and these experiments are not happy about their new guests. Will our band of survivors make it through the night, or will they be picked off one by one by the government's failed experiments? Moving on to the subgenre. I would definitely say this movie would be under the sci-fi horror subgenre over like say creature feature subgenre and this is kind of tough because the two subgenres are very similar like both subgenres typically deal with monsters and creatures and aliens but the difference i would say is that sci-fi horror deals with science as well which was why it's sci-fi horror critters is a good example you know critters is about tiny tiny alien creatures But I would call that a creature feature, not sci-fi horror. You know, John Carpenter's The Thing is definitely a sci-fi horror movie. You know, it has an alien creature in it, but it has science involved as well when they do the autopsy on the creature and try to figure out, like, how fast this thing could spread if it was, you know, if it somehow escapes out of Antarctica. So our movie as well deals with monsters, you know, these creatures, but has science involved as well. So I would, like I said, I would definitely put this movie under sci-fi horror as opposed to a creature feature. So I'm going to go over the definition of sci-fi horror. Sci-fi horror. This subgenre blends science fiction and horror beautifully. This is where science and experiments have gone wrong, aliens evade the earth, or bugs grow to enormous size, threatening humanity. These films typically involve a scientist playing God, out-of-control experiments, or alien invasions. Space aliens, other worlds, mad scientists, and science experiments make up this subgenre. And this subgenre differs from creature feature because this subgenre involves science in some shape or form. So, our movie, Creepazoids, was super low budget. I actually read somewhere that it took about two weeks to film and cost around $75,000 to make. But my thing is, is like, low budget or not, I enjoyed this movie and I think it touched on a few important subjects reflecting on what was happening at the time. This movie is definitely like I said horror history heavy. In fact like I actually had a hard time picking up on the psychology and mental health aspect with this movie because it was so focused on what was going on at the time and reflecting on what was going on at the time. But like I said this movie is a reflection on history. Some movies a cover well again will be psychology, mental health heavy. Others will be horror history heavy, and some are going to be somewhere in the middle. It's just how it is. But this is why I like doing the podcast. It's because I can see both angles and both aspects, and it's fun to dive deep into these movies. But like I said, even though this movie is, you know, a total low-budget B flick, I did notice that it still tackles issues going on at the time being a complete reflection of history. So the first thing I'd like to go over is the idea of the military. You know, some people fear the military, the idea of a wall, desertion and how, you know, people just up and leave and kind of like the lengths they'll go to avoid going back. Like our group of survivors are military and they're called deserters. They just ran and they keep running from the government, hoping not to get caught. So for each Aspect I'm going to talk about, I'm going to do go back to like what I usually do, which is go over a few scenes and then talk about it and try to go a little more in depth about it. So the first um, scene I'm going to go over is a conversation between a, a whole bunch of them, actually, because they're talking about an uplink and maybe calling for help because they know this creature's coming and it's trying to attack them. It's already attacked one of them and they don't know what to do. They're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Kate, what about calling for help? Jake, Jesse did mention something about an uplink. Butch, we'll send out an SOS. Jake, you are sure you want to do that? Butch, why not? Jake, because we're likely to run into the government. Butch, so what? AWOL, big deal. I'd rather spend a couple of years in the stockade than get my head blown off. Jake, not AWOL, desertion, man, from the field of battle. They could line us up against the wall. Blanca, and get our heads blown? Kate, maybe not. They need personnel desperately, especially at the front line. Blanca, we'll still get our heads blown. Jake, this is ours. We stay here because we found it. Now I say we kill anything that tries to push us out. Blanca, search and destroy? Jake, you're damn right. Kate, I'm not sure we're up to it, Jake. Jake, fucking rookies. Blanca, that's us. Jake, okay, we'll try to make a phone call on the computer. Maybe we'll luck out again and find civilian help that doesn't ask questions. Okay, so moving on to the next scene. The next scene is actually a conversation between Kate and Blanca. Kate, they should be back by now. Blanca, just seems like a long time. Didn't you say that? Kate, but how long do we wait? Blanca, stay here. That's what the men said. That's what we're going to do. Kate, I feel like we let them down. Blanca, forget it. That kind of guy is never happy. Nothing's ever good enough. Look, I know you're in love with the guy and everything. Kate, well, maybe I am. Blanca kind of gives her a look. What about you and Butch? Blanca, let's not turn this into a slumber party, okay? Kate just laughs. You know, it's not the dying I hate. Even when I ran from the front, it wasn't because I was afraid of dying. Kate, it's the rats, isn't it? Blanca, there were a hell of a lot of them where I grew up. I think you'd get used to it, wouldn't you? So just in these couple of scenes, and theres I know there's another scene or two as well throughout. We learn that our group of soldiers, or, sorry, we learn that our group are a group of soldiers and they left the front lines, left the military without official leave. And the idea of, like, calling for help kind of scares them because they may be caught by the government and punished for being deserters. It's almost like staying in that building with this monstrous threat is better than being caught. And Blanca even states that, like, her fear isn't dying. She's not afraid of, like, going to war and dying. You know, it's the rats. The rats are what scares her. Like, she has a fear of them. Like, basically, I'd say, like, she probably has a rat phobia, which is musophobia, which actually kind of, so, sorry. So this actually reminds me of a story that my mother once told me about my grandfather. So, um, he was in the military. I want to say Navy. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure he was in the Navy. And he, um, was at war and I forgot where he was. I'm sorry. But he was laying down on the ground and like the enemy was somewhere else, but they knew they couldn't stand up because they would get shot down. And my grandfather actually, um, they heard, sorry. So they heard this loud noise. And I want to say either a bomb went off in the distance or someone shot a gun. And all of a sudden, all these shrews like started like running and crawling all over my grandfather and his men, like hundreds and hundreds of them just crawling over trying to escape the noise. And my grandfather watched his best friend stand up trying to like get these, shrews off of him and freaking out and get gunned down in front of him. So, my grandfather from then on had a a fear of rodents because the rodents are what caused his friend to stand up. He watched his friend get gunned down and there was nothing he could do. So, when Blanca's talking about no, it's not like dying in battle that I'm afraid of. It's these rats. I can't stand the rats. It totally made me think of that story about my grandfather and how that really like affected him for like the rest of his life. So, sorry. Anyways, moving on. Next, I'd like to talk a little bit about how this movie um, reflects on the Cold War. You know, the Cold War was between America and the Soviet Union. There was this fear that, the, that nuclear war would break out and destroy the planet. And people were basically thinking, like, what happens if the bombs go off in this nuclear war? What does this mean for humanity? Does everyone die? Will some survive? If some humanity remains alive, how will they survive this decimated world? And, you know, like, what happens to all the flora and fauna? Will they mutate because of the radiation? If we do survive, do we have to fight off mutant plants, animals, and humans? And like I said in the beginning, this definitely has a lot of similarities with, like, the 50s. So the 50s also feared, like, nuclear war, the atomic bomb dropping. But their movies came out and were a little different. Like, they focused more on the radiation from the bomb, like, What if the government experiment on the radiation? What it could do to like the plants and animals? You know what happens with the testing sites where the bombs went off? Like they didn't really focus on post-apocalyptic Earth. They focused more on like if bombs dropped, if we experimented with radiation, or you know tested the atomic bomb. It was a lot of focus on radiation. So we had movies like them and Tranchula, as opposed to the '80s where they focused really heavily on like post-apocalyptic a post-apocalyptic world like. What happens to humanity? Like, does the nukes cause mutations? And like I said, like, many movies in the 80s really did focus on this idea of, like, post-apocalyptic Earth, like this post-apocalyptic world. Even if the movie wasn't about the world and its survivors after nuclear war, a lot of these movies in the 80s still reflected on the idea of post-apocalyptic Earth, like this post-apocalyptic world caused by something that decimates the planet. You know, you had like Day of the Dead, nineteen eighty five, Solar Babies, nineteen eighty six, Night of the Comet, nineteen eighty four, The Terror Within, nineteen eighty nine, uh Rats, Night of Terror, nineteen eighty four, Escape from New York, nineteen eighty one. Our movie is the same. It focuses on a post apocalyptic world after the nukes go off and destroy most of the Earth. And we actually learned this at, like towards the beginning of the movie that, you know, the world has been decimated and you know these people are trying to survive. and sorry, just to backtrack a little. like I said, a lot of movies in the 80s focused on post-apocalyptic earth and it isn't always the nuclear war that caused it or the nukes that caused it. It could be something else, you know, like day of the Dead focus, focuses on the zombie apocalypse something happens and you know decimates the world. You know, Night of the comet, it's a comet, but the comet decimates the world and mutates people. These are still direct reflections on the Cold War, if that makes any sense. So, like I said, our movie is the same. And our movie actually focuses on the nukes going off and what happens to the world and people trying to survive a post-apocalyptic Earth. And we learned about this right in the beginning of the movie. And it says, 1998, six years after the superpowers have engaged in a devastating nuclear exchange, Earth is now a blackened husk of a planet. Tiny clusters of survivors eke out the miserable existence. In the ruins of the cities, And bands of deserters roam the barren wastelands, hiding from mutant nomads and seeking shelter from the deadly acid rains. So again, our band of survivors are deserters trying, like basically just trying to survive in a post-apocalyptic earth and trying to stay out of the acid rain that the nukes have caused. So the nukes going off not only decimated this planet and made a post-apocalyptic earth, but now every time it rains, it's acid rain and it's deadly to anybody who's survived our band of survivors are just well they're just trying to survive plain and simple in a post-apocalyptic world a post-apocalyptic world caused by man you know and this was a genuine fear of people who grew up in the 80s in many horror movies reflected on this and kind of asked the question what if you know what if the nukes go off what would happen our movie may be a low-budget B-flick, but it still touches on the subject. It still touches on a serious subject and tackles a serious issue within the movie. Again, just because the movie is low-budget doesn't mean it doesn't tackle serious issues. Just because a movie may be a comedy horror doesn't mean it doesn't tackle serious issues. A lot of horror movies, the thing about the horror genre is that it tackles subjects and issues that a lot of people don't want to talk about and a lot of people don't want to face but people need to know about it and they're not in the horror genre is not afraid to tackle these serious issues They sometimes just put it in a comedic way or like a very fun and entertaining way Not always shoving it in your face But a lot of times they really do tackle these issues and a lot of people look at this movie Creepazoidus says, oh It's just a low-budget beef like it's not a very good movie But the fact is it's still tackling issues That some people don't want to face and some people didn't want to admit were happening kind of idea. Sorry, I hope that all makes sense. So, anyways, moving on. Last, I'd like to go over the idea of, like, not being able to trust the government. Like, the fear of the government and how this movie reflects on this idea as well. You know, like, can't trust the government. Government experiments. Experimenting not only animals, but humans as well. Terminating an experiment because, you know, something goes wrong, but not cleaning up after themselves. Leaving said experiments instead of destroying them. And the whole idea of, like, trying to play God Kind of claim it's for the sake of humanity. And this movie is about a failed experiment that our group of survivors have kind of stumbled upon and they must fight in order to survive. There's no explanation as to what happened to the people who originally reside in the building, but it's implied that the experiments got out of control and killed the people. But it's never actually fully explained. Either way, these are failed experiments. Um, these are failed experiments on humans. Well, sorry. So there are failed experiments on humans and animals. And our group of survivors are trying to take shelter in what they think is an abandoned building because they're trying to escape the acid rain. But instead, they're basically trapped in there by these failed experiments that are trying to attack them and pick them off one by one. So as the movie goes on... We learn a little bit about what happened there and, like, what the experiments were on. So, again, I'm going to go over a few scenes. So, like I said, it's never fully explained, but you can kind of, like, pick up here and there what was going on and kind of, like, decide for yourself what was happening. So, the first scene I'd like to go over is between Jesse and Jake. Jesse is trying to access information from a computer, and Jake kind of comes over to see what's, you know, what he's doing or if he's found any, anything useful. Jake, you find anything yet? Jesse, not a lot. Jake. Well, you figure out what this place is? Jesse, this thing is code crazy, but by the looks of the lab and this. Jake, what's that? Jesse, amino acids. Jake, what? Jesse, amino acids. They're building blocks for life. Those are the ones the human body can't produce on its own. Jake, you know a lot about this stuff? Jesse, I was a biochem major when they drafted me. Stuck me in a poison gas outfit. Jake, you were a gasser? Jesse, hey, it's not like I asked for it. They assigned me. Anyway, we didn't get a chance to use the puking gas now when the MIOBs came in, so I just ran. Jake, we all ran, didn't we? You get a fix on our location? Jesse, we're 400 miles from New L.A. If there's anything left close, I couldn't get an indication. You know, I can get an uplink on this. There might be something nearby. Jake. Don't do that. We're deserters, remember? So, what the hell were they doing with these meany acids, anyways? Jesse, amino acids. Jake, whatever. What were they doing? Were they synthesizing them, making them artificially? Jesse, it's been done years ago. This is something else, something new. Jake, something important by the looks of this place. Jesse, it's incredibly fortified, and maybe not empty. Jake, what do you mean? Jesse. Earlier, I thought someone was watching me. Jake. We could stay up all night telling ghost stories, but let's not. Come on, relax. This place is dead, and it's ours. Next, um, Jesse goes back onto the computer, and he actually finds a diary by one of, like, one of the scientists or someone who was residing within the building, and he's reading them. October 13th, 1.13pm. It's gotten unbearable. The communication with New L.A. has been curtailed for some reason. Nobody will tell me. I've been iced out for some major decisions, and it's getting ridiculous. The whole thing's turned from biomedical to social engineering. How many people can you cram into an enclosed space before somebody blows up? October 15th, 1123 a.m. I skipped a day. Bennett was snooping around the bookshelf. He suspects something. He hasn't gone near the books in months. Had a strange thought. What if he were drinking the stuff himself? What if he were sprinkling it onto the food? I wouldn't put it past the weasel. It creeped me out for half all morning. I shouldn't be writing this, but it's the only thing that keeps me sane. And then like Jesse um, hears a noise and goes, looks, and looks into like this like crawl space. And then the computer backtracks a little and then it pops up October 12th, 1035 AM. I miss the sun. I never thought I would, but I miss it. The rain's been steady for six days now, but it's unlikely permission would be granted for an outside excursion anyways. Now that we've had some success, paranoia has set in. Security is tight. Then it goes through the other two. And then ends with, November 18th, 423 AM. Long time no see. No one suspects a thing. Covered my tracks like a pro. The blood was a bitch to clean. So later on, Jesse actually ends up dying at the breakfast table, and the rest of them go to the computer that he was working on and try to find information on what might have happened to him. Butch, can't you get anything on this thing? Kate, it's code within codes here. If Jesse got through, he didn't leave a trace. Blanca, it was the food. It was the food that killed him. Jake, no way. We all ate the food. Butch, then we're all gonna fucking die. Kate, no, it was him. Something about him, not the food. His metabolism couldn't handle it. He changed. Mutated. Butch. That does it. We're out of here. Blanca. Come on, Butch. Butch. I mean it. I move we ace it right outside the door. Blanca. Yeah, right into the acid rain bath. Butch, so we just gonna sit here and wait for it to happen to us? Jake. No, we find out what this is and we kill it. Butch. Okay, we'll start finding. Jake. First off, we gotta know what kind of place this is. Butch, it's a bomb shelter. Kate, I don't think so. Jake, well, what then? Kate, I think we're in a containment vessel, designed to keep something in, not out. They built this to protect the outside from whatever they were doing in here. Butch, oh great, they were doing some dipshit science project worried about some damn germ getting away. Meanwhile, the world is blowing itself up into little... Pieces of rabbit shit outside. This is bullshit. Blanca. Oh, butch. Jake. Jesse said these were building blocks of something. Kate. Yeah, sort of. Jake. He said whatever they were doing, it had to be new and important. Kate. Yeah. Jake. What? Kate. I think you're going to think I'm crazy. Jake. Go ahead. Kate. If they were experimenting with internal genetic synthesis of these, that would be quite a trick. If they solved it, it would mean the human body could make its own amino acids. We wouldn't depend on the food supply to provide them. Jake. Then what happened to Jesse? Kate. The mutation was complete. He didn't need food. In fact... Jake. Overload? Blanca. Ten tons of rocky fuel stuffed inside a hand grenade? Kate. Exactly. Blanca, (laughs) I'm on a diet right now. No more food. Kate, not a bad idea. Jake, you think we're infected with this thing? Kate, if it's airborne, we must be. But we're breathing the same air as Jesse, and we're okay. Butch, yeah, but he was such a little guy. Kate, even so, I think something got to him to make it happen so fast. Butch, and he points to the space. Something in there. So again, basically we learned that this facility was experimenting with amino acids, synthesizing them, sorry, synthesizing them so that the human body wouldn't need to depend on food to obtain them. And most likely what I'm thinking is that they were trying to build like some some sort of super soldier, one that could kind of keep going without needing food to fuel them. But of course, something went wrong. No one is left in the building. And there's some creature that's attacking them now, you know, trying to make our survivors kind of like him, which is kind of weird because like it turned Jesse into one of them. And like you said, he ate the food and died, but some of the other ones got attacked and then mutated, got killed, but then another one mutates and then just straight up dies. So anyways, this is some kind of failed experiment. Creatures are still there. They killed off everyone in the building. Like I said, I think they were building some kind of super soldier that didn't need food to survive. Just someone that could keep going and going and going because they were producing their own amino acids. But either way, you know, again, this is reflecting on the whole idea of, like, you can't trust the government and government experimentation. So again, the fear of the government experimenting on humans, like I said, was a real fear and made people afraid of the government and they couldn't trust the government. Again, like I said, these movies, a lot of these movies ask the question of, like, what if? What if these experiments got out of hand? What if these experiments are still around, never being destroyed? The idea that the government could be experimenting on people—it was a real fear, because well, do we get a say in the matter? You know, if the government kidnaps you to experiment on you, then you're basically fucked. Many movies reflect on this fear, just like our movie *Creepazoid*. So, like I said, our group of survivors are trying to fend themselves against this creature that was a failed experiment because they were synthesizing these amino acids. Um, so the human body could produce them on their own, so they wouldn't need to depend on a food supply. But of course, something went wrong. It killed off all the people in the building, but it still resides there because you know, no one was left to terminate the program. And now our Vander survivors have to make a choice of like, do we stay in this building and get killed off by this creature or turned into one of them, or do we risk our lives in the acid rain bath that's outside? So it's a very interesting idea. And like I said, just because this movie's low budget, doesn't mean it doesn't touch on. Important subjects and important issues that happened on that was happening within the world And that's what I like about some of these movies is that people look at them as like, ah, oh, this movie's crap Oh, it's got bad dialogue. Oh, it's got bad acting. It's got this 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 and this I don't like the movie But i'm like, you know what if you actually sit and watch these movies A lot of them are tackling issues that people don't want to talk about they're tackling issues or you know i sorry They're tackling, you know specific issues that were going on within the world at the time Sometimes they're tackling things, again, revolved around mental health and psychology. Like, they're tackling all these issues within a low-budget movie. You just have to sit and really pay attention to it. So that's why I like doing this is because, for me, it's really fun to kind of tackle this and, like I say, peel back the layers and really dive deep into these movies because everything I was reading about Creepazoids was very negative negative. But as I was watching it, I was like, wow, I really like this movie because it's tackling a lot of issues. And it's a big reflection of history of what was going on in the 80s. It's a big reflection on that within this low budget movie. If you just sit back and actually watch it and pay attention and again, peel back the layers, you'll see that this movie, you know, deals with a lot of serious issues and really tackles a lot of these serious issues and really does tackle a lot of the fears and anxieties of an 80s society. I hope that all makes sense. Anyways, I'm going to move on to my reviews. Scream Magazine says, But there are still a few interesting ideas on display in Creepazoids, particularly when it stops trying to emulate existing movies. After the humanoid has finally been killed, its head cracks open and a monstrous baby crawls out from its skull. As Jake recovers from the fight, the baby attacks him, forcing him to strangle it to death with its own umbilical cord. Not only is this an unexpectedly nasty denouement to the film, It also adds an interesting symbolic element to the movie's overarching theme, namely that the nuclear war has destroyed things for the future and that the children will be made to suffer due to the actions of the previous generations. IMDb states For what it is, what Creepyzoids captures is the time in cinema history. The time when robotic baby monsters, dry ice, apocalyptic times, needless gore, and a few hot women created an 80s masterpiece. Albeit that when it ends, you are shocked that the film only lasts 71 minutes. I enjoyed it. I am an 80s film fan, all types. But I especially like the ones like these that make absolutely no point, there's no underlying meaning to try figure out. It's just what it is. Bottom line, if you're a fan of crap movies and consider them to be as entertaining as Hollywood dramas, then at least rent this movie. I just purchased it for $3 at my local video store. It's a keeper, simply for the fact that there are both monster babies and giant rats, period. So overall, this movie is a fun, yet weird, creation by Full Moon. This movie may be low budget, but that doesn't mean it doesn't tackle serious issues happening in the world at the time. This movie reflects on many fears and anxieties of an 80s society, Cold War, the military, and government experiments, but presents them in an entertaining way that's not in your face. This movie does ask many what-if questions and tries to answer them the best they can. Linnea quickly carries the show. The dialogue isn't top-notch, but Linnea gives it her all and still gives a stellar performance. This is what I mean when I say that Linnea is an amazing actress. She can take a character in a low-budget movie with not-so-great script and make that character completely believable. But the flaws of Creepazoids, in my opinion, give the movie its charm and makes the movie fun and entertaining. So if you haven't seen this movie, I say give it a chance and watch it. It's a fun little romp into an 80s post-apocalyptic era, and Linnea Quigley is worth the watch in the movie alone. If you're a fan of Linnea, then you gotta see this movie. So give this movie a chance and watch out for any creepazoids. Anyways, I'm going to wrap it up for today. Thank you for joining me here again on Simple Sarah's Horror Menagerie. Again, I'm your host, Sarah Sin. Thank you for sticking around as I discuss horror history, psychology, and mental health within horror movies. Hope you enjoyed the show. Again, thank you for listening. And I just want to remind everybody that there's a horror movie out there for everyone to enjoy. So thank you.